Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello and welcome to What Barry's Talking About from Barry 360, a collection of conversations to inform, inspire, enlighten, and entertain from politics to festivals, sports to health, and more. I'm Dan Blakely. On this edition, the price of gas be damned, Ontarians have told CAA they're hitting the road this summer anyway. Robert Dwyer will carry on his father's Terry Fox run legacy, kicking things off this weekend at Open Air Dunlop. And we meet Graham Scott Fleming, an up-and-coming country artist from Elmvale who's just signed his first record deal. But first, it's been a year since an EF2 tornado ravaged neighborhoods in South Barrie, destroying some homes and inflicting heavy damage to others. Some have been repaired, some are close, Work has yet to begin on still more. What's going on? We put the question to Mayor Jeff Lehman. I think one of the tough things in the recovery in the year that has passed has been the, the climate, the construction uh, sort of um, uh, climate that people had to deal with, which is that we're in the midst of this building boom. It's just easing off now with the way the economy is slowing down in the housing market. But certainly if you wind the clock back a year, we were at the very height of that real estate boom. And, and also, because of COVID, there was so much work being done in terms of renovations and that sort of thing already. That industry was intensely busy. And so trying to find contractors, trying to get material was a huge challenge. Uh, and it slowed down the pace of, of repairs. You, you know, you've got places here where no fault of the resident or even the insurance company, they're still waiting for windows, you know, a year later. Hard to believe, but it, it, it is the case. There's a few other homes as we as we look at the situation now in the impact zone where very little has happened. And, and there's a tiny number, three or four, where they were made safe after the storm, but really there's been no progress uh, since then. And that is unfortunately usually a situation where there's a problem with the insurance and the, and the resident or or the insurance and the, and the uh, estimators and so on. A lot of discussion over the last year about building code and hurricane straps mm-hmm. and should the building code be changed? Should hurricane straps be mandatory? Mm-hmm. There was discussion around the council table about that as yep. well. Let's go through that. Are, have any changes been made? Can the city act on its own outside of the, the provincial building code? No, we, we, what the city can do uh, on ourselves, and we, we talked a bit about this, is, is provide some incentives, carrots, if you will, to do more. We can't force somebody to do something that is beyond the Ontario building code. And so we have, um, on behalf of our residents and council, we've, we've written to the province and said, look, you're, you're updating the building code. You really need to think about making these things mandatory for these very good reasons. And something, you know, I've, I've talked about and I, I continue to believe is, 
you know, building codes need to respect local conditions and a fact of central Ontario is more severe weather uh, when you compare our region to, to other regions. I mean, we are the northeast uh, part of Tornado Alley. We also have very severe winter weather. And in some cases, there are choices that can be made that aren't all that expensive, you know, in terms of construction that can, can help homes withstand that severe weather. And so the, the province can mandate it. We can only encourage it. And so we're, we're looking to the province to act on that. Was there any discussion with builders, whether they're local or from out of town, about uh, upgrading their codes or, or doing more than what the building code uh, requires? Yeah, there, there has been some discussion with, with the industry. I mean, there's always some pushback when you ask for something that will increase costs that that the you know the developers or the builders don't think that the homeowners will pay for because then then they see it as their cost but at what costs you know sort of human life and 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 property so there are some who who i think took a good hard look to make sure that that they were delivering everything that they could under the current building code because the other issue that comes up is we're down to really practical stuff here are there enough nails going in you're supposed to put in a certain number of nails to make sure the roof is attached to the wall when you're on a job site and somebody's hurrying or maybe there's somebody who's unscrupulous or cuts a corner and that doesn't happen and that you know that can have the result of that we saw after the tornado. And is that something that would get covered up before a building inspector yeah, came through? That's, that is one of the really practical problems. We, we don't have a lot, unless you got somebody standing there counting nails while they're being driven, it's very hard to, uh, to do that. So this is one of those things where the regulation becomes important, um, where, where you start to get compliance because of the consequences of not complying. The mayor not the only one looking for change. Greg Kopp at the Northern Tornadoes Project at University of Western Ontario is also a proponent of hurricane straps, but that's not all, as Barry 360's Will Conkin learned. There's been uh, the talk around the hurricane straps for sure. Is there anything else in uh, buildings that can be done to make it through these types of uh, natural disasters, or are hurricane straps uh, the simplest thing? Well, that's one aspect of it, and that's really important for holding the roof down onto the walls because the the tornado, and in fact, any windstorm wants to lift the roof up on, on low buildings like houses. And so holding the roof down becomes critical, and the hurricane straps do that. You need to do a few other things. You need to make sure the foundation, uh, the walls are, fa- are are fastened to the foundation. If you want to keep your roof sheathing on, which is also possible, it needs just slightly longer nails and probably a few more of them. Doing things like um, having enhanced garage doors so they don't blow in or get pushed in by the debris so that's a little stronger also really helps to, to keep the house together, although that costs a bit more money. Do you think these all these should just be mandated into all building codes? I don't think all of these things need to be done, but I think hurricane straps are, are really the important one there because... Um, well, the weakest link actually in, in, a, in a windstorm for houses is how the roof is fastened to the walls the way we do it in Ontario and, and across Canada. In fact, uh, the toenails just aren't strong enough. And if you can keep the, the roof fastened to the walls, 
that will, it, it, to me, it's a life safety issue. Uh, when the roof leaves the walls, you're, the walls are more vulnerable to collapse. So the sequence of failure is usually the roof coming off and then the walls collapse. And if you're up there, that's a dangerous situation. The other thing that's dangerous is that roof flying through the air, and it tends to hit downwind structures, causing kind of a cascading set of damage. So that's really the critical one, is, is just holding the structure together as much, as much as we can. Do you think that overall with the structure of houses and how they are built and everything, do you think they need to be completely redesigned from bottom up? So wind like rolls off of it or around them, like should everything just be redesigned? I don't think it takes uh, that extreme a measure. I think there's quite a few small things we can do to make them better. And there's some other ones that are kind of subtle, things like a, a hip roof is better than a gable roof. And uh, so a hip roof is shaped like a pyramid kind of kind of shape. And, and it has the advantage of being able to distribute how the wind goes through the structure a little better. And it also, um, we fasten onto all four walls instead of a gable roof, which is only fastened onto two. So it's that kind of little detail uh, that we can handle to make houses more resilient. That's Greg Kopp with the Northern Tornadoes Project at University of Western Ontario. A hundred bucks and then some to fill the gas tank for most of us these days. And while it won't stop us from getting into the car and hitting the road this summer, a survey of CAA members finds it will keep us closer to home. Caitlin Furs is Director of Communications with CAA. Caitlin, this survey seems to suggest we've adjusted, albeit grudgingly, to the high price of the pumps. Yes, our, our data is showing us that gas prices are definitely having an impact on road trip plans. Uh, And really that $2 a litre mark is that magic number when it comes to prices having an impact on people's behaviours. Now I'm looking at this survey, it says 76% of those surveyed say they still have a road trip planned. That seems really high to me because the people I've been talking to don't even want to drive to the corner store anymore. Yeah, so the the survey that we did shows that that a lot of people are still planning on going on road trips, whether that's in the province, um, some uh, lesser amount are going out of province and even fewer are going uh, to the U.S. Uh, and of those who are planning a road trip, though, people are still watching and, and, and seeing what um, these gas prices might impact. So, you know, people might not do as many road trips. Or they might be keeping an eye on prices during that planning, uh, you know, adjusting their budget for when they are out on the road. Um, or perhaps just driving a shorter distance than they might have done otherwise. And regardless of the price of gasoline, people are just anxious to get out and do something after the last couple of years we've endured. Yeah, people are excited to get out on the road. And, and, you know, there are complications and and challenges with uh, broader airplane travel, as we all see. And so I think, you know, road trips are becoming that default option that, that just seems a little bit simpler right now. All this said, there are things that we can be doing to, uh, help save our fuel or cut down on our consumption and it uh, primarily revolves around taking care of our vehicles something that i remember being told when i was learning to drive by my instructor i don't even want to think about how long ago that was (laughs) so there's a few things you can do to help with fuel efficiency it absolutely starts with the maintenance of your car so making sure that you've got your tires uh, filled to the manufacturer standards something that people don't think about but tire pressure does have a, a pretty decent impact on fuel efficiency you know making sure that all your fluids are topped up and all of that kind of thing so the car is running uh, to the best that it can and and while you're out on the road 
you want to be looking at things like speed. Uh, you know, we know that over 90 um, kilometers per hour speed, you know, fuel consumption increases fairly significantly. So keeping that cruise control on, trying to keep yourself at a consistent speed and avoiding, you know, those hard brakes or abrupt starts, um, that kind of thing can take up some gas. And if you are heading out on a road trip, you know, be mindful of how much you're packing. Packing in a lot of stuff into your vehicle obviously impacts um, uh, fuel consumption as well. And uh, you just want to try to be as light as possible uh, and as efficient as possible. Planning your route is very important, too, because you don't want to be going back over the same route back and forth, back and forth. That's right. Planning your route. And from a safety perspective, also letting someone know what that route is. Um, And we also suggest bringing a backup map. It's something we often don't think about as much these days with GPS, but you never know when your GPS may or may not, you know, work right at that moment that you need. And so we always suggest bringing that backup map as well. What happened to those fold-up maps? that You don't see them anymore. (laughs) You can find them. Um, You can also print them out. At CAA, we have uh, triptychs, which are a long-standing, very popular thing with our members. Uh, we no longer have printed triptychs, but we do have a wonderful online uh, version that you can print at home uh, and have that back up uh, on hand. I see one of your fuel-saving tips here is don't start your car until you need to. Your vehicle will loosen up as you drive. That's to avoid uh, people leaving it in the driveway warming up, is it? Yeah, and, you know, it's it's hot out there some days, and so it's, it's some people want to turn on their car and let their A.C. run a bit to cool things down. Um, not necessary, you know, if you open up your windows and, and try to get some natural air in before you turn on your AC, AC can uh, take a lot of fuel as you're, as you're driving. So all of these little pieces together can help with fuel efficiency over time. And I see here you have a recommendation for a daily driving maximum for those people who are going on a, an extended journey. Yeah, so it's important that you're well-rested before you get behind the wheel. And if you are taking one of those longer road trips, say, out of province or to the U.S., you want to be able to plan your route in, you know, ahead. And so think about what your rest stops are going to be. Uh, we recommend no more than 800 kilometers a day and then taking 15-minute breaks every two hours or so, just giving you a chance to reset and, you know, refocus and make sure that you're aware and alert as you're on the road. Thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. And uh, people, if they want more information, can get a hold of CAA. That's right. Thank you so much. You can find CAA at caasco.com. This is what Barry's talking about. From Barry360, I'm Dan Blakely. We sadly lost Barry Terry Fox Marathon man Will Dwyer this year at the age of 96. Over 40 years, he had raised more than $1 million for the Terry Fox Foundation. His son Rob will continue his father's legacy, starting this weekend with an event at Open Air Dunlop in downtown Barrie. He outlined the plan for Barrie 360's MJ. The Barrie Terry Fox Foundation is kicking off uh, Open Air Dunlop with the uh, trikes and bikes for Terry. And uh, they'll be there from 10 till 2 p.m. Saturday, the 23rd. And uh, there'll be uh, giveaways, free things, flags, stuff for the for the bikes and trikes for the kids. All ages are uh, welcome to attend. What exactly yeah. is trikes and bikes? So this is something new that the Barry has decided to do, Barry, the Terry Barry Fox Foundation. They're going to have some giveaways, cookies, and different things uh, things for the, uh, for the bikes, and then they're going to have a ride downtown Barry for Terry for the kids. Oh, that's great. So kids just sort of like hop on their bike and go for a little ride there? Yeah. 
And、uh, yeah, and this is sort of. Sort of your kickoff, too,、um, I, I suppose.、Uh, can you tell me、uh, a little bit about that? You want to、um, continue your dad's fundraising? Yeah, I'm going to、uh, continue. He had a goal of $2 million, and I will continue this、um, as long as I can <laughs> to try to get him to the $2 million. And I'll be、uh, setting up down there as well with the, with the Barry Terry Fox Foundation. And uh, hopefully, um, dad started it in April, his campaign. But it just never really got off the ground until、uh, then he passed away, May 8th. But, so I'm going to continue the, his journey、uh, through me to him. He had a passion to help others. And、uh, I've seen this, and especially over the last four or five years.、Uh, the last three years, I, he obviously didn't drive anymore, so I would take him around to his、uh, regular supporters. And、uh, it, really, it really hit home、uh, what he was trying to do. What he's trying to do is to help others. So, if people can't make it out to, to Open Air Dunlop,、um, I know you sent me a link, but can you just tell me a little bit about、uh, where people can donate?、So、they, they can donate online.、Uh, we'd love to see them. I mean, everybody,、uh, I've been out the last two or three weeks, found on doors that、uh, Dad would normally go to, and, and everybody pretty well much has a story about Will over the years, and some, some even have.、Uh, Stuff that they asked Will to sign, like the cards that he was handing out for donations, right?、Mm-hmm. They asked him to sign them and, and, and they actually give them to me. If, if they can't make it out, there will be several events, not several, but three or four events before、uh, the Terry Fox run. But if they can't make it out, they can、uh, go Will Dwyer Memorial Donations slash Robert Dwyer slash Terry Fox Run. And that'll bring them right to、uh, Will's page. And there's a nice little uh, story uh, on that page as well that they'll have a chance to read. I appreciate your time today. Thanks so much. Thanks, Sam and Jay. You have a great day. Yes, you too. What Barry's Talking About from Barry360. Up on a farm in Elmvale. Now he's taking his country roots to a bigger stage. Graham Scott Fleming has just signed his first record and management deal, just dropped a new single, and shot a video for it the other day on the family farm. We caught up with him before the shoot last week. First of all, Graham, congratulations on the record deal. Was, was this in your crosshairs growing up on the farm? I, I honestly don't know. I don't know what I wanted to do. I knew that I was a class clown for sure. And it was going to be something to do with, you know, my passion actually was teaching for the longest time, but I was also involved in music and, and you know, drama. And、uh, I don't think it was until I really got into the swing of things that I, and learning that this could actually be a career that I really wanted it this bad.、Um, it was like the dream I never had, but always deep down knew I wanted. <laughs> One of those things you kind of fall into without knowing it? Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly it. There's no one in my family that is actually musical. So I don't even know where this came from at all.、Uh, my grandmother, she used to actually clog, and I would stand in that. She had ALS、uh, disease. So I would sit with her and watch her old videos of clogging. And I think that's the only like, real musical side that you know, came from the family. So you'll have to incorporate some clogging into some of your videos then. Exactly, exactly. You come to one of my shows and you get a pair of wooden clogs. Well, you did have something to do with、uh, kinky boots at one point. I did, yes. I,、uh, 
I did the original Toronto production uh, for a year with Mervish, and then uh, since then I've actually done it in uh, four other states. So it's been a huge part of my life for sure. Well, you have a new single dropping this week, I think I read somewhere. I do, yes. It's called Life of the After Party, and I wrote it with uh, Robin Adelini and Lydia Sutherland. So it's a fun, uh, upbeat summer song, and we're shooting the music video today. So uh, pretty excited to get that rolling. Shooting it on the farm in Elmvale. Yes, on the farm in Elmville. So you've got the video shoot today. You've got the new single dropping. What else is coming up for you down the road? Yeah, we've been uh, we've just been in rehearsals with the band, and we're creating the show, um, my current concert, and uh, we got a couple festival dates coming up on the twenty third. We're in Prince Edward County, and uh, we'll be doing the Elmville Fall Fair, and uh, just a couple other that aren't announced yet, so I can't quite say anything. But uh, it's just. Uh, you know, pushing forward, writing every single day. I'm heading to Nashville to do some more writing with my partners, and uh, I do a lot of solo writes as well. So, you know, any any free time I have, I'm basically just either writing or practicing to make it better. So uh, it's just been a really fun... I can't believe that this is now my job. It's like a pinch-me moment. Kind of a neat thing when it all comes together and you, and you sit back and say, is this really happening? Yeah. last The last year, when we first started doing this because of COVID... I wasn't really sure where it would end up, but I have a really, really great team around me of friends and professionals who have guided me to where I am today. Uh, and, you know, in the beginning, it's just a lot of hustling and writing songs that you don't think anyone's going to hear. And then my latest single going top 40, it's just, yeah, it's a, it's a whole, it's a whole dream I'm living and, and, uh, I don't want to wake up. Not yet. Is there anybody you uh, idolize in the, the country music industry, somebody you, you, you kind of look at and say, man, I'd like to be like that person? Dan and Shay are definitely my biggest idols. Uh, I love them so much. Their music is incredible. Their stage presence is incredible. Uh, I grew up also listening to Garth Brooks. I mean, you know, he could put on a show. I think he was one of my like first major concerts, and he played for four hours, and that's just mind-boggling to me. <laughs> Yeah, I got a couple of influences out in Nashville, but uh, in Canada also, I'd love to say, you know, Jason McCoy, I grew up listening to him and the Roadhammers, and uh, he has now become an actual pal, and we've written a couple songs together. So it's cool. it's cool now diving into the business and realizing that, you know, we're all here just to make good music. Graham, thanks so much for doing this today. Good luck with the, the video shoot today. We'll, uh, we'll pray for the rain to, to stay away, and uh, we'll look forward to a, a concert close by, maybe a four-hour long one. Uh, <laughs> I'll make sure it's four hours, if, only if you're coming, though. I will be there with bells on or cowboy boots. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you so much for today. I really appreciate it. Up-and-coming country music star Graham Scott Fleming of Elmvale. And we're done. The premiere edition of What Barry's Talking About from Barry360. Thanks to Will and MJ for their contributions and to Matt Ladder for his technical expertise. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to What Barry's Talking About. Maybe rate it, review it. You can also keep up with What Barry's Talking About on Facebook and Twitter at Barry360 and on our website, barry360.com. Look forward to getting together with you again next week. I'm Dan Blakely.